Fellow Kids, and welcome to episode 7 of Hello Fellow Kids. Are we at 7 already? We're at 7! Oh like, God. it's not it's not an experiment anymore. <laughs> so we should have our SHIT together a bit better than this. <laughs> Anyways, uh, if you are new to the podcast, once a month we read a young adult book and discuss it at length. This month we read The Thing About Jellyfish by Ali Benjamin. And, uh... It was kind of devastating, like, the whole time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, it brought back a lot of memories. I mean, I was never obsessed with jellyfish. <laughs> Just that middle school time. Yeah. I felt it was, like, probably one of the more accurate portrayals of middle school I've read. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> All right, uh, so I went ahead and uh, wrote out a little synopsis just a short blurb for the book. Uh, one of our listeners uh, contacted us and requested that we maybe do a little bit before we get into the discussion so that you know what the book's actually going to be about. And I guess that way you can decide if it's something you want to listen to 90 minutes of. Oh, so, that's fair. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So after her former best friend drowns during summer break, 12-year-old Susie Swanson takes a vow of almost total silence. Convinced there's more to the death than what she knows, Susie becomes locked on the idea of a rare but fatal jellyfish sting. Susie's journey to find the truth becomes an all-encompassing obsession that threatens her current relationships and forces her to come to terms with how their friendship ended. So the book is broken up into a handful of parts, and then all the chapters within that are very short, so we're going to be synopsizing. Well, it's like a research paper. It's like there was hypothesis and... Right, yes. Yeah. Each part is named after a different aspect of a research paper, so we're going to be looking at it kind of part by part instead of chapter by what. <laughs> so every time you try to pick up your phone to do something, it like flips like, nope, we're going sideways! <laughs> no, we're going to go this way! And you're like, just work with me here! <laughs> yeah, well, you're all analog with your notes, and I'm trying to be all forward-thinking, and then mine just keeps like flipping around like, not today, suckers! So It'd be really I scary should... if my notebook did that. <laughs> Part one, purpose, and part two, hypothesis, which is only one chapter long, so I'm including it in this. We are introduced to Susie Swanson, our 12-year-old protagonist. She is on a field trip to the aquarium. It has been just over a month since her good friend Franny Jackson drowned on vacation in Maryland. Susie has rarely spoken since and has been assigned a therapist as a result. After observing her moronic classmates at the aquarium's touch tank, Susie breaks off and checks out the jellyfish exhibit. There, she reads about the urukanji, a small transparent jelly native to Australia, whose sting causes severe horrific reactions and makes the victim beg for death. It is noted that there are many deaths attributed to other causes that may have actually been due to the Urukanji, and that they have been migrating further and further north. These notes, coupled with the fact that Franny was an excellent swimmer, caused Susie to decide Franny must have been stung by one. Susie returns to her class and goes home to find her older brother Aaron and his boyfriend Rocco, who both seem like cool dudes that are pretty understanding of Susie's situation. Aaron and Rocco are given a box of Susie's mother's thrift store finds, and they head to the movies. Susie, who has been very focused on the statistics of jellyfish stings since the aquarium, makes a formal hypothesis that the jellyfish was responsible for Franny's death. And during this chapter, we also get two flashback scenes. The first is the day Susie learned of Franny's death, two days after it occurred. She recalls the last time they spoke, which is still unclear to the reader, but obviously unpleasant. The second flashback is when the two girls met at a swim class, when Franny proved to be a natural swimmer, and Susie was enamored with her beauty and eager to swim like her. All right, so the aquarium. Um, you you've been there like on field trips, right? Yeah. Like, you go, yeah. I I went like in kindergarten. I don't really remember that because like, that was like the first thing I, I thought of. I'm like, oh, the aquarium. 
And we should have gone in fifth grade. All the fifth grade's classes went, except mine. My teacher took us to the Museum of Flight, and it was boring. <laughs> I was just all like, man. And I also really like the idea of them all wearing, like, they had them all wear tie-dye shirts, so that way if you lose anybody in the crowd, you will spot them. And they weren't. But what if a bunch of deadheads went through? Like, what are you, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Like, get over here. I'm 50. <laughs> Are deadheads 50? I think they're probably older than that. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so that was my first dumb thought. That reminds me, did I tell the story yet about when we went to the fire station in kindergarten? No. All right, we went to the fire station in kindergarten and everybody got to go down the little, uh, the fireman's pole. Uh-oh. It was my turn. Uh-oh. And then there was a real fire, so they all had to leave. Oh, wait, I do remember that story. So. <laughs> so you've still never gone down yeah. the pole? I've gotten to go down the pole. Well, I've gotten to go to the touch tank, the aquarium. Well, I don't remember because it was kindergarten. I so don't really I remember either. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Oh, also, I've been to the aquarium at, at the uh, Mall of America. It's really cool because, like, I, I, I can't, I, I think, it, like, it's even overhead, too. So when you walk through, there's, like, stuff swimming over you, which if you feel, if you're slightly claustrophobic like I, like I am, mm-hmm. it's a little terrifying because you're like, what if the ceiling collapses, we'll all die. Even though that's kind of true of all ceilings. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless of if there are things swimming above you or yeah. not. The flashback we get to, of her mom breaking the new... That felt super real, too, because, like, well, I mean, like, it, it felt like a real situation to me, but to the characters, they're like, how is this happening? Like, the mom even is just like, I can't believe this is happening. She yeah. just kind of gets weirdly formal, like Franny Jackson drowned, and she's just like, why are you calling her by both names? You've never done that. <laughs> And she, and also, um, Susie reacting like she's the best swimmer in the world. How could she drown? I'm like, honey, she could have got a stitch in her side or you know something like anything yeah. could have happened. And that's even what the mom says. Like you know, sometimes things just happen. But Susie, our little protagonist, who's very scientifically minded, is like, no, things don't just happen. Well, yeah, because when something happens like that, you have to reframe so much of reality yeah. because it's just a given that. You know, people are alive. They're there if you want to go talk to them, regardless of if you're, you know, in her situation, she left on poor terms with Franny. Oh. And we'll get into that later. Yeah. But you just assume that if you, you know, call somebody's number, they're going to be at the other end, that sort of thing. You can't just go, okay, they're dead and start crying. There's that, a long portion of time where yeah. you're like, I don't understand how that could process even. process it and you just. Yeah. She, but, you know, so through, through much of the book, it's more like error, error, like, no, like. Yeah. This, there has to be a reason. Like, people drown, though. Yeah. It happens. At the aquarium, she is looking at the Urukanji exhibit. And the Urukai? Ha- I kept kind of <laughs> that in my head. <laughs> and it has this long explanation of them. And it says, uh, after it talks about how the stings make the uh, victim beg for death and they're just in this just non-stop agony for like two days it says as the oceans warm it is likely that the urukanji like other jellies will continue to migrate over greater distance and i just said well that's horrifying <laughs> well that and i thought like uh oh she thinks jellyfish did it yeah <laughs> it's like, like, no that's not okay i guess it gives you something to do <laughs> she's in an interrogation room turning a lamp on a jellyfish do you or do you not know Freddie Jackson? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming at me. I could use excessive force. <laughs> could you electrocute a jellyfish? What happened? Could <laughs> it just bubble? <laughs> they don't like this podcast. That's cruelty to animals. You're going to really hate part five. <laughs>
the mother's thrift store finds reminded me of a certain other uh, former student in our class. Oh, yeah. I found this for you. <laughs> it's perfect for you. <laughs> it's like, thank you. <laughs> Everybody needs a good cutting board. Everybody uh, needs a good cutting board. They're like, maybe not that one. Yeah. <laughs> what was it decorated like? I, I didn't keep good. Oh, ones. I don't recall. Um, I was right there. It was right a there. really stupid one, though. Yeah. I really like Aaron and Rocco. I, I like them too. I think if they were used too much more in the plot, I would have liked them a little bit less, but they, they're really good for just coming in and being kind of like a, cause the parents are both trying to work through Susie's silence, which is, it's not total silence. It's not, I'm never going to speak. It's the idea of why am I going to bother using energy and filling space with words that I don't need to. And when I've used them before, mm-hmm. things go really, really wrong. Yeah. I, so I'll solve it by just not saying anything. Yeah, so there are several times in the book where she does speak, but that doesn't break the vow of silence in the sense that she then goes right back to not speaking yeah. because <laughs> she's only choosing the parts where it's incredibly vital that she actually says something. Mumbling jellyfish to your teacher. Yeah, <laughs> that, exactly. That counts. <laughs> um, but I really like them. I like that they they validate her. Yeah, they're all like, oh, cat got your tongue. Oh, still not talking. Yeah. And like poking at her trying to make her, her like, like exclaim or something. Like, oh, you said something. They're just you like, know? it's my sister. And she's, yeah. she's, she's dealing with stuff. She's going through really yeah. bad stuff. Yeah. Plus they shouldn't be in it a whole lot anyway because he's college age. He has yeah, exactly. his, own, his whole own life yeah. over here. But Franny still clearly has a part in it. Yeah. Franny. Sorry, Susie. I'm sorry. These completely unrealistic names for this day and age for children. <laughs> um, that was my only beef. It was like Franny and Susie. Come on, like the mean girl had. Mean girls had more realistic names for like what kids are called now. Right. Aubrey and Da. <laughs> Wasn't there like an Amanda or something? Like, there's always Probably. an Amanda. There's always an Amanda. Sorry, any Amanda that is listening. No, just don't be mean. Don't live up to your name. <laughs> <laughs> be like a really cool Amanda. Amanda, please. Amanda. Okay, so I was most recently editing our episode for the Penderwicks, and I remember talking about how I wish the narrative voice was a bit stronger. Obviously, because this is a first-person story, it's going to inherently be stronger, but I really enjoy her voice. Yeah. There's a lot of melancholy in there, which is understandable, because she's grieving pretty heavily, even though she's... It's not the way that a lot of people would think about processing it. She tries to make it very scientific. Yeah. But I really like how she phrases things, how she analyzes things, and every once in a while there's a little spark of humor that isn't like... It's not, like, in your face, like, pointing fingers and stuff. It's just kind of, like, these little subtle... I would probably like, like, the author to clarify something. Like, uh-huh. is she on the spectrum? Because she seems... Because of these fixations. Right. And um, her social skills are not the best. Yeah. That I was just wondering, you know, like, is she, like, does she have Asperger's? Is right. She... So then when the kids are, like, tormenting her for various things, I'm just like, this... She's... She can't. She's not made the same way you are you're being really horrible and this it was just super upsetting i was like is is, are they making fun of a child who literally cannot what's the situation here she is she able to i don't know what do you think i don't know and do you think if it was explicitly stated somehow that she wasn't and she wasn't but if it were explicitly stated that she were on the spectrum in some capacity she's probably not because wouldn't that psychiatrist have kind of like, I was gonna say, do you think that would have? She's not a very good psychiatrist, though. So. <laughs> do you think it would have been a stronger narrative to incorporate that? I don't know, but it might have helped other children who have that to kind of have like a. It's all about representation. Just like right. there's a protagonist who is a lot like I am, or maybe she 
But then on the flip side, on the flip side, what about representing people that wouldn't be classified as being on the spectrum, but do have... Oh yeah, you could be socially awkward and not be autistic, but I mean, I meant specifically (laughs) about her various fixations, especially like, this is all I know about animals, and I'm going to talk about all that stuff about animals that I know, Right. and you know, like most people don't do that, or you know, someone's like, okay, stop, I'm exhausted, (laughs) let's talk about animals. Yeah. Ultimately, I don't know, I... Because I just recognize that as behavior that I've noticed in people I knew who had Asperger's. Sure. They were... Yeah. Yeah. My instinct would be to say that she is not, and just has other personality quirks. Yeah, I don't know. Well, that's why I kind of want to... I just want the author to, like, kind of, like, weigh in on, like, how she went about that the way she did, and, like, why'd she kind of code her as, like, on the autism spectrum rather than actually putting her there? Because I know sometimes why they code them that way, but I, I... it's like um, the Big Bang Theory, that particular character that everyone finds annoying. I can't remember his name. I don't watch this stupid show. Sheldon? Yeah, Sheldon with this Bazinga crap. Yeah, like he's coded as autistic, but they don't actually say he is, so that way they can make jokes at his expense instead of being all like, okay, well, you're just taunting a autistic guy. You're making fun of an autistic guy for like his fixations and stuff and calling him weird. That's really mean. So it's like, well, let's just have him do these things, but we won't say he is. Ha ha. And that's totally not what's happening here. That's why I just want to, I just want to know where she was going, what she, what her perspective on that was. Or maybe she's this way. She's like, isn't everybody? What are you talking about? <laughs> was it covered in the discussion questions in the back? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't read them. Um, It's not. Okay. Okay. Um, by the way, my grandpa says that I remind him a lot of Sheldon. Which he's trying to say that as a compliment, and I'm like, can you just not? Oh. <laughs> I've never once wanted to change the channel while you were speaking, so I don't think you're anything like Sheldon. Oh, thank you. <laughs> when we see her interactions with, Susie's interactions with Franny, I noticed that you could read her as coded as being attracted to her. Oh, yeah. But the other thing about that is... The, the same sort of thing where, like, representation, representation representation is important and you want to have people that represent all aspects of life. But at the same time, you don't, it, it's also, I feel like it's also damaging to be like, I have a friend, I think they're beautiful. Oh, you must have a thing for that person. Yeah. Like, you should also be able to recognize these things without it being a that separate characteristic of a specific form of attraction. So I'm not sure. It did kind of occur to me, and I did think of those parents, like, we made two gay kids. How do we do that? <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with making two gay kids. There's nothing wrong Statistically with Statistically impressive, really. <laughs> right, that's, that's kind of what I meant. Like, how does this happen twice? But it is actually possible because mm-hmm. I was part of a family briefly that had, I think everybody was either bi or pan. Or the so, uh, the Wachowskis. Right, yeah. Like, it's definitely something or that Or Tegan and Sarah. Right. <laughs> very specific twins that we're talking right. about here rather than <laughs> just siblings but is that statistically more probable like if it's twins that probably because they're identical i don't know what the gay gene looks like fabulous, fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i guess long story short when we're introduced to the character she is definitely a peculiar sort of character like reading it i can see where a younger person would find aspects to mock but i find her i find her an endearing character i enjoy her if i'd gone to school with her i'd have liked her yeah so we'll go ahead and go on to part three background Background. 
Susie attends her therapy meeting with her parents. She meets Dr. M. Legler, or Dr. Legs, and naturally says nothing. Her parents explain their concerns, and Susie zones out. During the session, she decides she needs to find a jellyologist to help her with her hypothesis about Franny's death. She begins her search for a professional jellyfish person. No luck immediately. The next day in science class, her teacher, Mrs. Turton, shows the kids pictures of Earth from space to instill them with existential dread, then, <laughs> then lets them pick lab partners. Susie is left with Justin Maloney, a boy previously known for his antics and mistakes, but insists that things will be better now that he's on ADHD medication. After class, Susie is forced to speak when Mrs. Turton asks if she's chosen a topic for her upcoming presentation. The topic is jellyfish, and she is reminded that the report must be oral. Later, Susie dismisses two more jellyologists before settling on Jamie Seymour, an Australian scientist who was at one point stung by an urukanji. There are several more flashbacks. The first is to first grade, when Susie and Franny have a sleepover and neither are bothered by each other's peculiarities, Susie's constant talking about things she's learned, and Franny's apparent slow development. The second flashback is to the Ming Palace, where Susie and her father have eaten every weekend since the parents' divorce. It was during one of these dinners that Susie decided to speak very little from then on. The third finds Susie and Franny in fourth grade taking a break from studying to lip-sync to Owl City. And in the last flashback, the girls are in fifth grade. Susie is trying to find a way to tell Franny her parents are getting a divorce, while Franny is more interested in what boy Susie might like. Franny likes Dylan. This is the first time we see Susie take issue with Franny's personality. It would be funny if it wasn't uh, just how useless the psychiatrist is. Like, every time she shows, I'm like, God, but she's always, like, unintentionally helpful. Yeah. Because she's, like, talking down to Susie, like, you know, sometimes people need to go to professionals because you can't be expected to solve problems all by yourself. And then Susie's like, professional? I need to find a professional jellyologist! (laughs) (laughs) I started laughing hysterically. (laughs) I was like, of course she, because she's wired so differently than everybody, so of course she made that connection. Yeah. But at the same Rather time... Rather than, like, you need a... You, you're, you're not dealing with your SHIT with your dead friend, so yeah. the, you need a professional to try to talk through that. Yeah, so that was amusing. <laughs> but not, because I think the doctor is kind of not great. Doctor is not great. No. The dog's name, Fluffernutter. That was pretty funny. Franny's dog is named Fluffernutter. Franny had a doggy named Fluffernutter. Uh, Clearly Franny named it herself. Oh, and when she's going through, like, the jellyologist later, and uh, she's like, like, okay, the pros and cons of each of them. The I like the one in Japan where she's like, uh, they're in Japan, and also, I might have to, they, they write poetry, I might have to read their poetry, so, hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote, same-sies Susie. <laughs> okay, so there's a haiku in there, and this is the second time in a couple of weeks that I've read haikus that... I thought it was always 575, is it not? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it, I think it is. Okay, because his wasn't. And the other one that I read, it was like 375 or something like that. No, that's not a haiku. That's right? That's a foku. I should know I'm an English major, but I didn't I didn't study. What did you major in? Uh, well, I did. I, I had to take... So for the creative writing program, you had to take at least two courses each of prose and poetry before you specialized. Yeah. I hated the poetry so much. I cannot stand poetry. I'm sorry if you love poetry. Go ahead, love poetry. That's fine. I can't stand it. Mostly because I was in AP English, Mm -hmm. and every single day, practically, the teacher would hand out a poem, and then we'd have to split up to groups, and like, what is this poem about? Dissect it. And I was like, 
I am never reading another poem ever again. I like some aspects of poetry because I I can be sort of a word nerd and I usually utilize that when looking at like lyrics and stuff because I already like the music. But part of the thing about poetry was that you are all the way up into at least partway through high school. You're taught how poetry works with like rhyming and meter and things like that. And then you read a few things that go away from that a little bit. But as a whole, you kind of get an understanding of poetry. Like two roads in a yellow wood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then... Only poem I like. And then when you get far enough, basically all the poetry teachers are like, all that stuff you learned, just forget it. We don't want stuff that rhymes. We don't want stuff that has an even meter. We don't want stuff that's like, that's formatted. We don't want acrostics. We don't want any of this crap. And it's just like, okay, so what was the point of learning all of that? So then you try to write something that appeals to them because they want stuff that's as far away from the regular rules as possible. And they're like, this doesn't feel very realistic. It doesn't seem like you're you're conveying your actual emotions. I'm like, well, no, duh. Because I don't understand any of this. You're just making up your own rules. You just want to read whatever you like. Yeah. <laughs> it's. I think poetry is an art form that is, to people who actually would be considered good at poetry, I think it might be too personal to really like. It doesn't work as something that you can teach in the same way or that you can analyze the same way you can with storytelling because storytelling has some fundamentals that just work. I feel like it'd be like trying to teach humor. Right? You, you kind of can do it or you You can't. either have a knack for it or you don't. Yeah. yeah. The After the divorce, the dad makes the commitment to eat every Saturday at 6 p.m. at the Ming Palace. He's a very busy worker, but overall, I like how the parents are written. I don't necessarily love the parents, but I like that they are, they obviously care about their kid, but they're also, they have their own needs and have their own confusions about the situation. They're they, good. I think they're good at co-parenting. Yeah. No one's undermining each other. Yeah. So it's like, if she lived with me, she'd be talking. Right. You know, like none of that. Yeah, crap. there's none of that. And the dad Or like, says, have you been trying to talk to her? Like, oh no, I just freeze her out. What do you think? You're like, right. There's no arguments between them. And they're just both kind of baffled and sad by her yeah. speaking. And when they're at the therapist, they both say, like, they both kind of express it in like, it's upsetting me. Well, while still being like... That was it, how the question was framed, though. So that it wasn't them being self-centered. No, no, no. Like, How is this affecting them? No, no, okay. no. I, okay. I don't think it's self-centered at all. I like the fact that there is nuance there where not everything is... Not everything is entirely about the kid because it shouldn't yeah. be... It shouldn't be 100% about the kid all the time because then you cease to be an individual. You need to look out for yourself to a yeah. degree. So they have a good mix of here's what I want, but here's also what I know the kid needs. And then they struggle with trying to rectify those situations at the same time. The dad broke my heart in that scene. He's like... I don't think the talk, the not talking would bother me as much if I saw her more, but I see her once a week and yeah. she just sits there. It's like, she's just not there. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, but the promise is really cool because it says it was a promise dad had made when he moved out that no matter how much he had to travel the rest of the week, he would be there on Saturday at 6 p.m. every single week. And I like that there is no deviation from that. There's no, yeah. there's nothing whatsoever that would suggest that the work becomes too important, which is a common trope of like, oh, I'm sorry, kid, I can't meet you this week. It's like, that is his priority. Yeah. For the whole week, that is the most important thing. And I think that's really cool. Well, he probably gets away with it with the job too. It's like, hey, I have you all, you can have me all the time, but this day I need to be with my yeah. kid. And they're like, okay, well, you're good at what you do <laughs> and you show up every other time. Yeah. So that's totally cool. So it's good that he has a safe like that, and he's never, there's never a scene where she's sitting in that place by herself with the dad not there, like, yeah. like crying into her, I don't know, miso soup or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I just point out, mm -hmm. during the scene where uh, she's trying to help her study, and it's like, oh, Magellan's like Magello, and da da da, and it's mm -hmm. like really cute. I think it's kind of doing the what I was saying, where like, people can have struggles in things without it being 
characterized like formal condition like she has the social awkwardness whereas franny does not have any sort of social awkwardness however she has definite like struggles with learning i think she does struggle a bit socially because the children are not very kind to franny because of because that one girl saying like franny jackson is not pretty or smart which is such a bitch thing to say don't ever say that about anybody that's so horrible it's like she's not good at either of those things he's like there's more things to be good at <laughs> there's two things you can like there's the two things you can pick, pick right one. but once they get to the age where social interactions start to become more nuanced and less about like you know second grade friendships are very surface level it's yeah. like i like playing with blocks they like playing with blocks we're besties, besties. and then next week it's like <laughs> they don't like playing with blocks anymore i don't like them like once it's they get into like late elementary school early middle school she doesn't make the best friends, but she does have a circle that she interacts with and stuff like that. Um, whereas, obviously, Susie is like, you'll see later, she just yeah. sits alone and eats and reads. Well, anyway, during that that scene where they then sing Fireflies, yep. it is not attributed anywhere in this book that those lyrics are from Owl City's Fireflies. I looked in the front, I looked in the back, it is not written. Correct. <laughs> but because of when Dixie is... In the author's note, it says yeah. that the book that, that they read about the dog named after a, a grocery store is because of Winn-Dixie. And I was like, well, cool, shout out her, but come on, Owl City deserves... Owl City! Not necessarily love, but no. acknowledgement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you would not believe your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is like, oh, it's like Fireflies with Fireflies. And I was like, I know what this is. <laughs> and then they actually were singing the, like, wrote out the lyrics. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so where's this... You know, like, yeah. at the, like the front just like could say like, no, Owl City Fireflies, yeah. copyright, whatever freaking year that came out. And that wasn't there. And I was just like, excuse me? <laughs> Owl City like sues her. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you, jellyfish lady. This is, the, this is the only money that I've made in four years is this lawsuit against a young adult author. Okay. And um, you kind of breeze through this, but the jellyologists that she uh, rejects. Is that badass long distance swimmer who is a oh. real person? Yeah, yeah. And she who, who she got, comes back later. Who got stung like lots of times by jellyfish, and uh, she's ruled out as uh, being per professional because she looks pretty tough, and uh, she's constantly training, so she probably won't be able to have a conversation. Because <laughs> <laughs> she did the math and it said that she swims up to twenty hours a day to practice, and she was like, "Well, that's not going to leave a whole lot of time to sleep and talk to me." Yeah, yeah. So it's like she seems busy. And she just looks really tough. So if she's so tough, is she even going to be nice? You know, I'm like, oh, you poor thing. And uh, the other one was a biochemist in Hawaii who uh, she's like, oh, my gosh, she looks just like Franny. And she's like, oh, it'd just be like a second chance with someone who looks so. And then and then she's like inflicting pain on a lab mouse, Mr. Jonathan Frisbee. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, she's she is uh, injecting a mouse with the jellyfish sting in order to and getting him as close to death as possible and then injecting her serum that she invented to combat the the sting. And Susie's like, I don't even care that you like help him at the end. You put them in pain and then I recognize that cruelty in myself and I don't want to be reminded of that. So we're done. And it was it was more than just putting it in pain. It was not flinching during it. Yeah. Like. I think she would have been more receptive if she, if the the doctor had been more noticeably upset about doing it and conflicted with the fact that she knew she was doing the right thing, but it was hurting this animal. There was no emotion on her face whatsoever, and that was what tipped her over. Which valid? Yeah. We get introduced to a couple of other characters in here because we get the uh, science teacher, Mrs. Turton. 
That was the Josh stand-in in the book. <laughs> Mrs. Turton is Josh. Well, good. I like her. Yeah, I liked her too. <laughs> All right. So I was like, oh, we found the books, Josh. <laughs> yeah, so she like starts off each class by showing them some cool science-y thing to get them thinking, which I think is a pretty common, like, I feel like I've seen that in like, did you ever have that in your science no. classes? Oh. My, they never engaged us. We my, were always bored. Oh, I'm sorry. My chemistry teacher was my one of my favorite teachers, and even if it wasn't directly related to science, she would always find some sort of short video or something to like get us thinking at the start of the day. And it was I would have cool. liked science better if it actually been engaged on this level. Um, but uh, I wrote in here that Mrs. Turton explains science better uh, in like one paragraph than pretty much any actual scientist or teacher that I had. Yeah, uh, which is. That's what science is, she explained. It's learning what others have discovered about the world, and then when you bump up against a question that no one has ever answered before, figuring out how to get the answer you need. And, like, because we had to do the similar sorts of reports where, like, you create your own hypothesis and things like that. Even when you're not in science, like, research papers in English, to a degree, reflect that. If they had just phrased it that way, I would have felt so much better because then I would have a much clearer understanding of what I'm doing, which is look at what's already there and then ask what questions do you still have and then try and go from there. Yeah. Because I always felt like I was just kind of finding ways to restate what was already out there. Mm-hmm. They didn't instill the inquisitive right. nature that's necessary for that. So I thought she was a fun character. Yeah, I really, I really liked her. I thought she handled... I thought she was way better with Susie than the psychiatrist was. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, my God. Like, if the kid's not talking to you during the meetings, bring in a board game and try and instill something. Do something. Yeah. Rather than just letting her just sit there in silence. You stupid bitch. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, that just made me so mad. I was like, these people are paying you money. And they're not rich people. Yeah. Or, like, like writing prompts or something. Writing (laughs) Yeah, speak to her through, like, writing. Just something. Engage her. Yeah. Oh my god, this is a child that needs help, and you're not helping. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, stupid Dr. Legs, I hate her. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Mrs. Turton, she's awesome. Oh, and there was another bit I wanted to... I'm okay, I made the Mrs. Frisbee joke. Um, oh, when they're on the bus, and she hasn't told... Oh, this is the flashback where her parents have divorced. Like, they was like, we're getting divorced, and dad moved into an apartment. And she still hasn't told Franny, because Franny's kind of like... It's not really her fault. She's not a horrible person for this, but she's become very self-centered and was like, I'm very conscious of myself and how I'm appearing to others. Yeah. And hey, how do you, what do you think about boys? Yeah. And uh, that conversation almost word for word <laughs> happened to me when I was in sixth grade. Oh, geez. Oh, my yeah. God. Someone was like, shit. It was like my best friend, Stephanie, who I'd been best friends with since fourth grade. And, uh, we're, and uh, we'd grown apart because she started caring more about clothes and boys and stuff and i was just like eh, i just hang out yeah <laughs> that happened with a lot of my elementary school friends actually <laughs> till i found other people who are all like i'm not blooming either Yay. yeah but anyway yeah we were just she was asking me like who i had a crush on I'm like what and she's like yeah who do you have a crush on and i said taylor hansen <laughs> and she goes who and i was like you know from hansen and she just looks at me like she goes, I have a crush on Bryce. And there was like a guy that we like went to school with. She's like, you know, you know, the one I might actually have a chance with sometime ever. <laughs> and I was just like, why well, do you know we're picking real people? Why I, would I tell you that? I, I feel like you, you should have just responded by going, mm, ba, da, 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 mm, ba. My parents are divorced. Mm, ba, da. Oh, she knew my parents were divorced. <laughs> no, she, no, she knew my parents were divorced. Okay. But yeah, we, like we'd grow up. Yeah, I had like two friends during that time that, that we 
grew apart because yeah. of this. One kind of went the more mean direction, like yeah. Franny, but Stephanie just kind of like went and did her thing. Yeah. If there happened to be any younger people reading, or reading, <laughs> this isn't a visual medium. <laughs> <laughs> um, if anybody's listening to this, like, it, you know, that sort of development is, there's nothing wrong with it. And there's nothing, there's a lot of learning and growth that goes in that. And kind of the idea is, like, all of that sort of stuff, like, caring more about, like, attractiveness and things like that, that's, you get excited because that's something new and fascinating, yeah. and you kind of go overboard, and then as you grow older, you learn to balance that better with other aspects of your life. And ideally, if Franny had lived, we would see her later on kind of balance She'd out. She'd have mellowed out. Yeah, later. for sure. Like, it's just something that yeah. you you go hard into because it's so new, and then you kind of come back Plus, to it. she's been this kid that was like, haha, she's not pretty or anything. And then here I am, I'm sorry, middle school, this is a new school, I can be anything I want now. Because right. it's like a bigger place, yeah. there's more people, you can like reinvent yourself, so why wouldn't she? Yeah, and just taking that by itself, that's super empowering to be uh-huh. like, I not only did what they say, like, not only was that not true, I, I am pretty, I am smart, I don't even have to think about it anymore because I'm never going to see those suckers again. Like, you can just, you can start over and present yourself any way you want, and that's that's really cool to be able to do. The problem was that Susie was not in that plan. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe she thought of Susie as being kind of like a lingering aspect of the past that she wanted to leave behind during yeah, the reinvention. That, mm-hmm. So that probably played into it a good bit. But she did try it. Like she probably just thought, and Susie will just come along. Yeah. Like Susie's always been there. Right. And then she kind of sees her with the eyes of, you know, what, however else sees Susie. Yeah. And was like, <laughs> right. <laughs> this isn't going to work. Yeah, plus it's the fact that she didn't realize that, like, part of the reason Susie's always been there was because of the elements that made the relationship work. And if you're changing some of those elements, if she's not receiving them, though, she's not going to be there the same way. Like, if one person changes and the other person doesn't, it's going to be really difficult yeah. unless you make some concessions to each other. Uh, we also meet Justin. I love Justin. Justin's great. Justin oh has... Justin Heart has gold. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Justin has ADHD, and it is not played the same way a lot of ADHD is. It's does a little bit at the beginning because there's like oh justin maloney he always messes everything up he put all these butter packets on his stomach and thought he could slide down the hallway and right. that didn't work right but, but that that's all in that's, flashback yeah, yeah and when you actually see him and interact with him later on in the book he explains how he perceives like before taking medication and after taking medication and um i think that's a pretty cool enlightening little bit but i i really like him he's a very nice kid yeah he's super cool real sweetheart Oh, and the way he's like, I know, like, you're stuck with me as a partner because no one else wanted me either, but I promise I'm not going to screw this up. Yeah, I'm I was I up. was so, like, heartbroken at that I point. I know. He's like, I know no one p- wants to pick me because I'll, like, be like, oh, what's this going to do? And flap everything around. And yeah. And, like, rip the paper and spill water everywhere. You yeah. know, that kind of whatever, but. Yeah, like, it's really hard because the pe- sometimes the, the people that are the odd ones out or the socially awkward people aren't totally aware of it but a lot of times they are and they just yeah. don't they either don't know how or they just they don't have the tools necessary to fix that and so the fact that he was very self-aware of that and like i know nobody likes me and they think i'm a moron and i just really don't want to screw this one up is like like getting a peek into that is like oh. this was a really emotional book yeah <laughs> it like it hit me the same place as doll bones did yeah <laughs> do you have anything else to say before this section because i wanted no that was it. okay the only other thing is the more we get into some of the science stuff and talking about like how like so at the start of each part 
Susie presents us with with a different, like, fascinating thing about jellyfish that she's learned. The one one for this section was talking about um, that we may be in the sixth mass extinction. And between that and the pictures of Earth and stuff, I just was like, oh god, I'm so small and nothing really, I'm going to die and then it'll just be nothing. And I was just like, (laughs) it was kind of horrifying (laughs) for part of it. Well, I was there like, no, 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 don't look at it that way. Don't look at it that way. You're all part of one thing. All of us together. All of us together against like all of that. It's amazing. No one's alone. We're all here. So I'm like, no, 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 you're looking at it wrong. It was like how I was, you know, that's how I would, as a a teacher, just kind of like reassure that way. Part four. Variables. After... (laughs) Astral projection. (laughs) (laughs) After several failed attempts to write a letter to Jamie, Susie decides to call the research center he works at. However, she can't find the words to say and is hung up on. Over the next several weeks, Susie continues to attend therapy while her science presentation inches closer. During the fourth therapy session, Dr. Legs breaks the usual silence by explaining that she believes humans speak in order to be understood in ways that other forms of communication can't convey. Susie gets the idea to speak to Jamie in person, but Dr. Legs reads Susie's face at this revelation as major headway for their situation. The science presentation... Pardon? I said, of course she did. (laughs) Uh, The science presentations start, and several days before Susie has to present, the new girl, Sarah, does a report on those horrifying spores that mind control ants. Susie writes to Jamie as if in a diary during the report. Susie spends the last night before her report preparing and hopes that she won't be alone in understanding the truth about jellyfish. The first flashback for this section is the summer before sixth grade when Franny becomes very interested in fashion and makeup, but all Susie sees is her friend changing into someone else. Aaron also first brings Rocco home around this time. The second flashback is early in sixth grade when Franny begins sitting with popular girls. Susie eventually joins them, but makes everyone uncomfortable by rattling off facts about sweat and urine. (laughs) The girls, including Franny, are very judgmental, and Susie no longer speaks at the table. Flashback 3 sees Susie returning to lunch by herself, and in the spring she finally decides to ride to Franny's house and confront her about the changes. She sees Franny playing outside with the other girls and feels completely removed from their world. In late spring, Susie's class goes on a campout. The class makes fun of her for hearing the nature sounds as an orchestra. Later, cute but dumb guy Dylan and his friend Kevin are throwing a frog back and forth. To impress Franny, Dylan goes to throw the frog at a tree. Susie calls out Franny's name to get her to stop it, but Franny gives her dead eyes and lets Dylan smash the frog against the tree. That night, Franny spits on Susie while Susie is trying to sleep. Susie comes to term with the fact that Franny is not her best friend anymore. In the final flashback, Susie decides she needs to send Franny a message about how she's changed, and it has to be soon. (sighs) I know. I know. So again, um, this brought back a lot of memories. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the the girl's sitting there and just like, oh yeah, sweat glands. You know, sweat's actually really sterile when it comes out. Like pee! And you're like, oh no! You can see where it's going and you're just thinking, no! No, Susan, stop it, stop it, stop it! And like the girls all stop eating just kind of stare at her. I had a moment like that at, at lunch when I was in middle school. Yeah. I was talking about how when I was a kid I'd always eat dirt and I didn't think there was anything wrong with like talking about this because I'm telling it like, ah, isn't this a funny story? And like the girls at the table all... There was one girl in particular. I wish I could remember her name, but I can't. It just shows how irrelevant you are. But she was like <laughs> particularly like like this bitchy look, and I've been on the receiving end of the bitchy look like my whole life. <laughs> so, ugh, like that whole scene, I'm just like, no, this is 
just like every awkward moment I've ever had and it's happening and I know it's happening and no one's saying like, okay, well, anyway. And then Franny's just kind of like watching it happen too, like, oh, shh. And she is really weird and I didn't realize because I'm so used to her. But now I see what she looks like in front of everybody else. And it's like, God, why do you have to be so weird? Which is what she says to Susie. Like, why do you need to be so weird? Then freezes Susie out of her life, basically. Which happened to me. Fuck you, Megan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm now the host of the Fames podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I probably shouldn't use her real name. Oh, Megan. Everyone's Megan. So they're not, she's not going to know it's her. She'll know it's her. She's not going to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> we just get an email. I listen to it. <laughs> she made her stepsister rip the head off one of my Barbies. Okay. That's Megan not cool. sucked. That's not cool. You sucked, Megan. And then she was like a really nice person in high school. And I think she tried to like make it up to me or whatever. But she never like actually like formally been like, I'm sorry, I was kind of a B-I-T-C-H when we were in school. You know, she, she like, never anything like that. She just right. spoke to me, like, in a friendly way, and I was just, like, really cold back. Just like, yeah. you know, I've opened up to you, and you've crapped on me. Yeah. So, no. I don't care about your friendly overtures right now. Or are you just being polite to me? I don't care. Right. Whereas I think now I think I'd be a little bit nicer, even though I just said, <laughs> screw you, Megan. <laughs> I think it's really interesting how different people perceive things different ways, but different people also kind of prioritize memories differently. I don't want to, you know, make any assumptions about your situation, but it's entirely possible that in a situation like that, the person who was rude just doesn't remember that. Like, there are, I have huge gaps in my, like, middle school and high school memory where people will be, like, either good or bad. Like, do you remember something? Like, I have no recollection of that. Like, or, like, when you go through, like, yearbooks and, like, you'll see somebody that's, like, uh, you know, we gotta hang out this summer, we're awesome, and I was like, I legitimately don't remember you, and I, like, try and find their picture, and I'm like, you, I'm sorry, you sparked no memory whatsoever. <laughs> and it's awkward, because the other person is like, I wonder whatever happened, why didn't Josh text me back? And it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, my brain just didn't keep it. <laughs> she lived across the street from me, and we slept over each other's houses. She didn't forget who I was. Like I said, I don't want to make any assumptions about your... <laughs> I'm just talking broadly speaking. Um, <laughs> but she did become friends with like the pretty girls because she always wanted to be one of the pretty girls. She was kind of, I wouldn't say fat. She was just kind of pudgy. Yeah. She, it was mostly because she has a round face shape. When you okay. have a round face shape, it's very easy to look fat. And I wouldn't say at all that she was fat. Right. Like no one ever was. And there's that fat girl over there. But right. she, But she was always talking about like, you know... Like, like saying to me, like, I had the perfect body. And I was like, we're eight. What are you talking about? Because <laughs> <laughs> I like, but uh, yeah, she said like, I had a perfect body. Blah, 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 blah. And like, um, she had like all these freckles and like her hair wasn't exactly a pretty color and all that stuff. Yeah. But then she, you know, she really liked clothes. So like her family would buy her like cool clothes so she'd wear the cool clothes and then she got like the prettier friends and the prettier friends kind of looked at me and they're like her clothes don't match and then she'd gleefully tell me like diane says your clothes don't match and i just like diane's a twat (laughs) 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 i didn't know that word yet and just like why why are you repeating it like it's like you want to hurt my feelings but it's just kind of like just letting you know that like you look like a jerk (laughs) like do something with your clothes yeah so that's why I'm, like, super sensitive stuff. I'm like, does this... Because then, like, right after that, I'd, like, go out and, like, show my clothes to my mom and go, does this outfit match? And she's like, yeah, like, seriously, will you please look? Does it match? And she's like, yeah, it matches. And I'm like, okay. 
And that's why we're all black for four years. <laughs> that would have been easier. No, I just like I don't I didn't mix patterns. I just did everything I could to like don't not even like a slight clash. So then I see anybody in like mismatching clothes, I'm like, no, no, your clothes don't match. Because <laughs> 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 it was something I was very hyper about because of my Franny doing this to me. And look at you now, you got a cute summer outfit on. At least she didn't spit on me. That's true. That yeah. I, I want to touch but on some I other was, things before I get into the camp scene, because there's a lot okay, of really that. upsetting stuff there. Yeah. <laughs> Susie does mention uh, that she realizes that humans are bad at reading each other's signals. So, like, yeah. she's aware enough of the fact that, especially back then, she was not very good at gauging. Maybe this isn't the best time to share your own facts. <laughs> it's lunch. <laughs> <laughs> There's a time and a place. Time and a place. Um, Not in front of Aubrey. <laughs> yeah. During the session when Dr. Legs is like, you know, talking is really important and stuff. I can understand what she's saying because there is a lot that like, you know, there's a reason there's a lot of miscommunication over text because people can't read faces and tone and stuff. But at the same time, there are ways to counteract that by just being very explicit in your wording. Yeah. And she is kind of like crapping on the idea of, like, writing out the things that you need to say. I take the opposite side of that. Like, sometimes I'll talk to people and they're like, I just don't know how to explain this to somebody. And I'm like, write it down. Because the thing about writing something down is you have all the time in the world to perfect to organ- it. To organize your thoughts. Yeah. One yeah. of the really difficult things about talking to somebody, especially about something serious, is if you mess up, it's already out there. You can't go back and, even if you, like, clarify it afterwards it still existed in the first place if you write it down you can reword it and retool it to say exactly what you're trying to get across the first time around and you don't end up with nearly as many mishaps and you don't get distracted by their reaction yeah and And you're like i'm sorry i I had like eight points and now you're trying to respond to me and i just need to get through these and i don't like your face it's making like yeah the expression you're making is making it very difficult and now i'm doing the thing where i'm getting frustrated but i'm crying i'm not trying to cry it's just a thing that my face does when i have emotion like could you face the other way for a bit I just love, again, like, Dr. Legs think, thinking she's being, like, really profound and just be like, it's really important to face people and speak your truth. And she's like, I need to meet Jamie face to face. So she's hoping, but not in the way she yeah. intends. And I just, yeah. I found that hilarious, like, the whole time. Do you think Allie Benjamin was kind of, like, making, like, a comment on the state of, um... Of the psychological profession? <laughs> like having them be like so useless? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. Did you read the author's note? I think, oh, didn't she say something about like counselors are actually really important or something like that? I was more thinking about um, like with the Jamie thing, how she was talking about like all of the professionals that she mentioned were real people. The only yeah. thing that she did was move the time frame of the, of the, the swims. Of the swim, yeah. No, she doesn't say so far not anything about. <laughs> no. Um, she also mentions actually that the origin of this book was that she got really into jellyfish and she wrote a really big essay about it and she like sent it off and people were like this is really good and a year later they're like i'm sorry we just we can't sell an essay about jellyfish and so like the the frustration of that led to her retooling that fascination into this book and i thought that was a pretty cool origin story but going back to dr legs i wrote this down because this is the first time I've done this while reading in literal years. 
at the end when she was like, wonderful, just wonderful. I think we made some major headway today. Yeah. I rolled my eyes for the first time in I don't know how long <laughs> while reading a book. Did you ro- roll your eyes at all during this one? During that one, I was just like, I hate myself and want to die. <laughs> Someone get me a jellyfish. <laughs> get me just, an urukai. No. <laughs> it wasn't quite as bad as bath mat, but I did kind of just think urukai every time it was done. <laughs> the zombie ant thing. That's it, so cool. I love that she did a report on that. Like, she picked that and, like, talked about it. I was just like, this girl needs to be my best friend, like, yesterday. It freaks me out, but I like how she's explaining it, which is, like, it's still horrifying, but that doesn't make it any less fascinating. Right. And, like, that's so true. Like, part morbid curiosity and part <laughs> just, like, oh my god, like, okay. nature does this? Can I, just, can I just say this about the science reports? Yo. Why is the scope of it so wide? Like, when we did to do science reports, it was always, like, a focus. Like, okay, we're gonna do all this about marine animals. You have to report every... Well, these guys, they can do anything. And I just love that, like, Dylan is, like, such a basic bitch. He does lightning. I'm like, okay, whatever. This girl's bringing zombie ants to the table, and you're bringing lightning. <laughs> He's doing one Justin... step above the baking soda volcano. <laughs> yeah! Basically... And Justin does, like, mutated cats. Yeah. That have appeared in, like, Guinness Book of Records. And I was just like, God, this is so... You guys picked really cool stuff. I was, like, very proud of them for some reason. (laughs) I'm like, that's such a cool thing for you to pick. I will agree that uh, the broad scope does seem strange for middle school. It would make a bit more sense in high school. But at the same time, I don't think it's necessarily bad to have that sort of thing happen at that age. Because... Science is so incredibly wide that I think part of the thing is instilling the idea of getting excited about science. I think it just shows my poor education. <laughs> like, just like, okay, right? it's on this topic that you don't find interesting. Right? <laughs> so there you go. But whereas with like science, like there's so much cool yeah. stuff you could do. Yeah. But like I always got limited. Just like the teacher's like, okay, we're going to do, you're going to write a science report. It's going to be about planets. Pick a planet. And like. In, God, just, I don't want to do about planets. In eighth grade, we had an absolutely terrible science teacher. Before I get into the main story, an example of how awful she was. I have a friend who's doesn't have a middle name and his first name is just Alex. It's not short for anything. Um, we'll make his last name Smith. Uh, so she's calling out everybody's names for this wasn't even like roll call at the start of the year. This was for like I think it was during, during like setting their seats? Something like that. Like okay. later in the year or something. Like after she'd gotten to know people. And she called, and she was like, Alexander Smith? And he's like, my name's not Alexander, it's just Alex. And she's like, whatever, Alexander Smith? So yeah, she was awful. She sounds awful. Uh, but towards the end of the year, we did like the classic science first thing, sort of like this. And my my study was uh, how video games affect learning and uh, cognition. So what I did was I brought people over, and I gave them a series of math problems. And then I immediately had them jump in and play Rock Band. For like 15 minutes and then I immediately had them take different but equally as challenging math problems and I compared the results and I remember that she did not take kindly to that at all even though it was I was rigorously applying the scientific method during the entire thing I was making sure that they were playing for the same amount of time it was during the same time of day that the the math problems were like equal difficulty for everybody I tested against myself to make sure that nothing was too like easier too difficult and she just wasn't having because it, it wasn't like traditionally sciencey enough it's not how science works <laughs> so what happened did she give you an f or something no i mean I, I i eventually like i still technically completed it but every time she went to talk to me about like during like the progress reports on it and stuff she was 
not pleased with it and uh, had a very uh, disdainful look on her face whenever I like showed her what I had done so far. And she didn't like the font choice that I did and stuff like that. And it... I want to wring this woman's neck. <laughs> like, I, I just hate teachers who are like that. Yeah. Because they just... Like, it didn't happen to you, but, like, it instills, like, a hatred for the subject then. Yeah. Because you associate... Because I know a lot of people, like, hated, like, their English class because they had crappy English teachers. I always had awesome English teachers. So I was really lucky in that regard. But I had a friend who, like, every English teacher was the worst. Or they weren't Um, awesome, but they they weren't bad enough to put me off the subject forever. They were just mediocre. My seventh grade English teacher, however, I don't think I read for fun for, like, two years after her. Oh, wow. Yeah. And knowing me now, how much I read just, like, all the time, like, like that is that is a huge thing to manage to turn me off of reading. <laughs> I keep looking disapprovingly at the mic, like, the person that we're talking about is right there, so I'm almost like, screw you, crappy <laughs> teacher. <laughs> uh, you know who's a great teacher, though? Mrs. Sturton. Mm. She's so wonderful. I just really like her. And she's, like, she's that cool teacher without being the... Lame... I'm the cool teacher! Right, and it's not like she's, like... <laughs> She still expects things from the students, you know? Yeah. She, like, what little we see of the, the real teaching side of it. She's grading them appropriately. She's having them go through all of the necessary requirements for a class while still making it as fun as possible and getting people really engaged. I feel like she's probably really young. <laughs> she hasn't gotten burnt out yet and been like, whatever, fill out this worksheet. We just throw all worksheets into, like, the sun and just be done with them. <laughs> the only worksheets. nice thing about worksheets uh, was that I would then it's get... Quick homework. Or, like, if you got them, like, for, like, substitute days, and they were like, just do this math worksheet, I'd be like, all right, I get 45 minutes of reading. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the the Jamie Diaries are, I feel like I've seen this before, where they they write to somebody that they never end up meeting, but I oh, can't remember. Oh, Jamie Diaries. Okay. I was just, I was saying, like, why are you talking about the show? The, the, show? the book's called The Thing About Jellyfish. Um, but, with, like, writing to Jamie in the, di- like, Dear Mr. Henshaw. Yeah, which I, Beverly Cleary? I don't think I read. I obviously don't oh, you'd like about, it. But I don't think I read I think it. you'd like okay. it. Okay. Should we talk about the camp? Or let's just skip. No, we gotta we gotta talk about the camp. Like I already was not Okay, like we were talking about douchebag teachers. This teacher who's like, Okay, like everybody, what are you here? Yeah. What are you here? And she's like, an orchestra and he's like, What? Yeah. So they could have framed that because he was he was trying to teach them a lesson about frequencies. And he could have been like, "Okay, what frequency do you hear the orchestra?" But and like he could have like used that to go off on of what he was doing. But because she didn't give an exact answer, like I hear a frequency. Yeah, you know um, he has to like be a dick in front of everybody, and then they all laugh at her. Yeah. So I guess just to outline it a bit more <sighs> clearly, they're at a camp that is like there are other campers in other sites or, like, other areas of the place. Yeah. Um, Someone's and, listening to music. Yeah. And there's other people, like, talking. And so the class is standing around, and he's like, what do you all hear? And Susie says an orchestra, and he's like, what? And she explains all of the different, like, nature sounds are kind of coming together in a strangely harmonizing sort of way. She probably talks about it a little bit too long, but the teacher is just, like... Super dismissive. Yeah, he's, he's just, like okay, in the way where it's like he obviously didn't listen to any of it and was just like, that's the wrong answer. I'm waiting for her to be done so I can say that the rock music is a lower frequency so it travels further. Like, that was his point. But he left it open-ended and then got upset with an open-ended answer. I know. There were so many teachers (laughs) who were like that. 
It just, oh god, that made me so mad. Yeah. So I was already turning off like this trip sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and also one time I did have a teacher being like, "What are you here?" And then we were like, "She's like, let's go on a nature walk." So we literally just walked around the soccer fields at, like, when I was like in high school as my creative writing class. We we're supposed to get inspired to write poetry, which I hate. But anyway, so we're just sitting there. And she goes like, "All right, everyone, close your eyes." And what do you hear? And that's when a guy farted. <laughs> so, so he I got was... a gold medal, right? <laughs> <laughs> he timed it perfect. He's like, listen, what do you hear? <laughs> <sighs> and then the frog. That's when Franny lost me. That was the most angry I have been while reading a book since Breaking Dawn. And that was for a very different reason. Because <laughs> with Breaking Dawn, I was just angry that I was wasting my time with an awful book. <laughs> with this one, I was so frustrated at the complete lack of empathy that the kid was showing. And the fact that I knew that there this horrible thing was going to happen. Yeah. And there was no... Not only was there really no way that Susie knew how to stop it, but there was no way that I could stop it either. And I was so invested we in the story all, that yeah. I was just horrified yeah my stomach was just in knots and Susie just had like this very sophisticated understanding of the situation I was kind of looking at Franny like he's doing this to impress you yeah you can stop this yeah I can't no one else can yeah they're not gonna listen to Miss Frizz they will listen to you she could be like no 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 and then he wouldn't have done it and maybe he would have thrown it into the lake instead and then the frog would have swam away and had a nice life I don't know maybe our next book should be about frogs but did you have boys like Dylan that were like the cute ones that everybody like had a crush on but yeah. they weren't particularly nice or whatever like they didn't have that many redeeming qualities because I had quite a few of those especially in elementary think, school yeah especially in element in middle school too yeah but I never liked them yeah. because I was so repelled by this shit right that I was just like no, I don't care how cute you are you threw a fucking frog at a tree and yeah. killed it I yeah. don't like you yeah in fact a whole group of them I could can I tell am I interrupting you no you're fine today? okay um, we, my middle school is by this, uh, creek that we'd always go down to for our science class. And me and, like, two friends of mine, we were very, we really enjoyed that class. And we got a lot out of, like, going down to the, to the creek and, like, taking part in nature and stuff. And the teacher was really into science. So I guess I didn't always have crappy science teachers. He was okay. He kind of instilled in us, let's, like, have, like, a respect for this. And you don't want to, like, disturb the water because when you disturb the water stomp around stuff like that you like raise all the silt up and it chokes the fish so they can't breathe as well and so you know like let's have some respect for because things live here this isn't just for you to like screw around so there's some other teacher one of the crappier science teachers brought a group of us down and he's not watching anybody and they're like stomping around and like the boys in particular who thought they were just so cute i didn't like any of them travis Anyway, so they, like, were in there, and they're, like, throwing stuff in, and me and my friends walk up, and they're like, stop it! When you do that, it chokes the fish. And they're like, they're choking the fish! And they were, yeah, and we were, like, so annoyed, and we, like, go to the teacher, like, can't you do something? And he's just like, well, we're outside, and he's, like, maybe kind of this token, like, stop it, and, like, nothing. We, we like, go back to the classroom, and uh, the good teacher who taught us, like, all about the nature and stuff, he was, like, he's, his, there's a door that separated these two classrooms. So we went in to talk to him and kind of, like, told him about what happened. Like, we tried to stop them and just da-da-da. And he's, like, well, I'm glad my little environmentalists were there, at least raising some awareness. And I I know, yeah, it's just people are like that. And it would have been nicer if the teacher had done something. And, you know, you you did your part. You tried to do it. And we're just, like, yeah, okay. But the boys thought we were trying to get them in trouble more. 
and my friends had them. Um, they were in PE. I took aerobics because I hate <laughs> PE and sports and all of it. But they were in PE with these boys. And these boys tormented them for like two weeks straight because they're like, they got us in trouble. I'm like, you got yourself in trouble. You did. We just went over to like, just talk to the teacher about like, God, I hate people. And he's just like, yeah, I get it. But yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I went to school with Dylan's and I just hope they all end up in really menial jobs and have like lives they hate. So there. <laughs> it's, it's, I told you this brought back lots of bad memories. Yeah. <laughs> Travis ended up being kind of cool in high school, though. There's this, this period of time where you're just insufferable, horrible. You're not even human. You're just this horrible creature in, like, middle school. And then it's like you get past it. Yeah. Or you don't. But right. <laughs> most most people get past it and become, like, a decent person later. And just, like, the mental image of, like, me and my friends were all just these, just these three girls with, like, glasses and brown hair just storming over, like, you stop it! <laughs> I'm not impressed by this what's happening right here. You know, yeah. like everybody else is like, oh, look at that, oh, my God. Yeah. They are so immature. <laughs> but like, like, but it makes me kind of hot. You know, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> like the way girls are at that age. But we were just all like, no, I'm not having it. Yeah. That cute boy yeah. thing you have going does not charm me a yeah. bit. But then, of course, no one ever wants to admit that they're wrong. So they no, just yeah. have to double down on it. Yeah. Their only option is to be like, well, I guess you're an awful piece of crap. Uh, You're ugly and dumb and I'm going to kill these fish and look how cool I am because I don't care what you think. Like that's their only like way out, unfortunately. Whatever girls, you never have dates. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now we Uh, need to address the spit. The, yeah. (sighs) This is where it kind of... Flips for me, and I'm in the Franny position rather than being the okay. Susie. No, I was, I, but I was, I wasn't like this at this age. I was like, I, I was. This level of cruelty was more what I could do at a much younger age. Okay, like six, seven. I don't really want to talk about what I did. I think it was worse than this, but it's just it's this hell of a mirror. Like, oh, you thought you were Susie this whole time? Hello, Franny. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. When you do something of this level of cruelty, for me, it wasn't even about the person you're doing it to. Like, you don't even, can, you know, you're not even like, you're subhuman, so I'm doing this to you. It's not even like the other people are egging you on. Because, like, when I did the bad thing, the friend I was with was like, don't, don't do this. This is really, this is awful. Don't. I don't, I don't like this. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it. Doing mean crap because you can and trying to impress, some, like, even though the friend I was with wasn't terribly impressed with me. Right. It's like, maybe I will impress her if I do this because look at me. But maybe there was more person personal stuff there because especially since Susie was giving her that look, like, you could stop this frog thing. So, and like you said, like, I'm not wrong. You're wrong. It was like, this is what I think of you saying that, you know, acting like it was my fault he threw a frog yeah. at a tree. I don't control Dylan. Dylan does his own thing. He's his own person. So that's what I think of you. I'm not saying what she did was right. It's not. It's disgusting. And I was really unhappy with yeah. it for it. But I had that. I, I've been that level of cruel. Just not this old. <laughs> well, I mean, I've been cruel before. And I know, I know that feeling that you get where it's like, you don't. Even you don't like what you're doing, no, but there, you don't. there's there's the feeling of but there's power here. Yeah, and that's that's the horrifying. I got to this point. I can't turn back now. Right. I realize what was it all? I'm like nothing. Yeah. It's worth nothing. It's again please, like the please turn back. It's a <laughs> do it. Please turn back. It's the Otherwise. I I can't. I have to double down on it. It's that same sort of thing of like 
I just have to keep going. Please, please, for any children listening, please back down. Otherwise, you will be 33 years old and thinking about something horrible you did when you were six with the same level of... It's like it yeah. happened yesterday. I don't... Like, I even debated, like, should I talk about it? Should I, like, mention it? And I was like, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to talk about what I did. No, I don't know how we haven't figured out a way to explain this to everybody or if it's just something that you have to learn. And unfortunately, you have to learn it kind of in an upsetting way. But nobody ever thinks that the bad things are cool. No matter how many times the situ- sort of situation comes up, it's never worth it. It never feels good afterwards. You don't become more popular. You don't become more powerful. You don't become more interesting. You just, a lot you of just times- start hating yourself. Yeah, a lot of times other people forget about it. You're never gonna. No. Because um, you spit on a little girl in a sleeping bag at summer camp. or I would like to go on record. Thing I did. <laughs> I'd like to go on record and say that whatever awful things that I did in the past, uh, none of them involved bodily fluids. Part five. <laughs> <laughs> the guilty look on my face like, can't say we're the same. <laughs> Want to play Never Have I Ever? It wasn't spit. That's just not better. That's not, no. Not no, better. spit was the best option. <laughs> I guess it was. I'm grossed out by spit. But I did watch... A girl spit in another girl's drink and then they made sure to have like a chugging contest to drink the soda and like the girl drank the spit soda and like I nearly threw up. This was middle school and I told the girl that is the most disgusting thing that is horrible I can't believe you did that and she was like well you know the majority of what's in a drink at the end is spit and I go like your own not someone else's so I, I learned from my early cruelty not to be cruel later. So I guess if you're going to be cruel, children, do it when you're young, when the... Dude, yeah, if you... Do it when you're six. If it has to happen, <laughs> do it when you're six. Don't do it in high school like oh I did. Oh my god. There... That was rough. No, there were boys in my school, uh, high school, who were who did their cruelty as high school. They beat an old man to death. So please get your cruelty out early. Get I never did early. that either. <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't kill anybody. There was, there was a, a small, I don't know how big it was, because I have blocked out most of high school. Uh, I was a very frustrated person um, for a period of time. and of all the trust fund babies? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it was, I don't really want to go into it. Part 5. Procedure. Susie gives her presentation on jellyfish. At first, people are interested, but as it drags on, she loses their attention. Mrs. Burton... Mrs. Turton tries to cut her off, but she keeps going until the bell rings. Kids think she's crazy and start referring to her as Medusa, the name for a stage of jellyfish life. She gets an A on the report, but feels like nobody understood her message. The next day, Susie has lunch in Mrs. Turton's class. She watches science videos, and Justin comes in and sits down with her. He calls her Belle, referring to part of a jellyfish because he thinks it's a nicer nickname. A couple days later, Susie decides for sure to visit Jamie. Inspired by a news story of several children flying alone, she begins planning. She decides to leave by February 10th, the day of the school dance. That's my birthday. <laughs> she copies her father's credit card info, sneaks some money from her mom's purse, and adds her own savings. At school, not long before she's due to leave, Susie and Justin dissect an earthworm named Thor. She speaks to Justin, and they bond over the fact that they both see the world differently. Justin because of his ADD and medication, Susie because she's Susie. <laughs> A week before the dance, Susie and Dr. Legs, Susie asks Dr. Legs how to say goodbye. Dr. Legs assumes she means Franny, but Susie means in regards to leaving for Australia. 
Susie spends her last few days before the dance finalizing preparations, mentally saying goodbye to her family and friends and snagging money from Aaron's apartment. Her last step is to call Franny's mom, which is the first time she's spoken to her in months. After the call, she is ready to leave. Flashback time. First up is the last day Susie saw Franny. In order to send a message about how much Franny has hurt her, Susie has prepared frozen discs of her own urine. She goes to school early and slips them into Franny's locker. The plan is for Franny to open the locker and see the mess, lock eyes with Susie, and understand the message. Of course, this doesn't happen. Franny opens the locker and starts crying. She doesn't make eye contact and instead puts her ruined things in plastic bags provided by the school secretary. Franny and the secretary round the corner away from Susie, and she never sees Franny again. The next few days, Susie waits for a call or message from Franny, but realizes it might never come. The final flashback is Franny's funeral. Susie is angry at everyone, the pretty girls for thinking this loss was theirs and the adults for just giving up. Susie becomes determined to not accept what happened and hunt for answers, which paves the way for her jellyfish fixation in the present timeline. I knew this flight plan was not gonna work, but um, I like I liked how she kind of like look kind of looked down on these kids because they like all the the girl Bridget Brown uh, saved up her babysitting money and her brother and their neighbor, and then it's like let's go to Nashville to go to Dollywood, and it's like. You shouldn't have gone to Nashville because it's way too far from Dollywood. So she's like, I'm not going to make that mistake. <laughs> like, And it seemed like she, like, I don't know, she was planning really well, except for she should have done more investigation into like international travel, which is quite different from domestic travel. Mm-hmm. I made a note that I thought that the thing that was going to get her would be passport because she never mentions it yeah um later when she goes to the airport she has the passport and that's just fine it's something else that like oh but... can you say like the, yeah. the like the winter dance and like the themes like heroes and villains i'm so glad they picked that one i was all like that is the best pick that pick that as a theme that is so cool i want that to be my theme <laughs> justin's a great person he is such he's so wonderful like calling her like like he hears everybody else, like medusa medusa like mocking her and he's just like no oh, bell hey call you bell you remember the other Justin that we had in the book? This is Frisbee, who was also a really good character. This one doesn't die saving rats, though. That's, that's true. <laughs> he would. He'd sacrifice himself for some rats, I feel. I don't think we explicitly explained, but one of the important bits about Susie's uh, appearance is that she has very frizzy hair that yeah. refuses to be maintained. Uh, at one point, Franny tries to use uh, some sort of hair product, and that doesn't really go too well. And so... The Medusa thing is partly because she has... Wild hair. Wild and crazy hair. Wild and crazy hair. (laughs) (laughs) They talk in one of the flashbacks. It's when they're uh, doing the lip syncing. And they introduce each other by, like, stage names and... He's Miss Frizz. She's Miss Frizz and... Strawberry Girl. Strawberry Girl for strawberry strawberry blonde blonde hair hair. and the freckles and stuff. Question. So, she has a stage name, Miss Frizz. She's really into science, Ms. and she. Frizzle. Do you think she grows up to be Miss Frizzle? Yes. Do you think she takes Mrs. Turton's ideas and just runs with it? Yeah. Let's make a magic bus. I'm gonna make these kids like science. This is canon, by the way. This is the official prequel to the Magic School Bus. Yeah. Is the thing about jellyfish. <laughs> yes. I like this. Why do you think she has to change her name though? Because she knows about like. Time travel because she'd have to travel back in time to do this, right? Have <laughs> so she knows about like paradox, paradoxies, paradoxi, a paradox. So it's like, well, let's change my name so it doesn't get mixed up 
with the historical record. I don't know. I think it's because she's been saying rude things about Urakandi and she is The Urakai are gonna go and come after her? She's being hunted by big jellyfish. Corporate jellyfish just really aren't taking these accusations well. I don't feel- I don't like that she took money from her- from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that. Well, I mean, I don't like she did the credit card thing either. Right. I like but how taking, she did it, though. Yeah, it's pretty ingenious. Like, I, I took, like, like $4 here or there. Uh, Not enough to be missed. Yeah, so to copy to copy the credit card, it's her that dad's credit card. kind of ingenious. So what she does is their dinners are very routine, and at the end, her dad would always get up and wash his hands. She times how long it takes him to leave and makes sure that, like, she is done by the time he would normally get back from washing his hands. So she copies the entirety of the credit card, including, like, the statements on the back about how it's not valid unless signed and the customer care phone number. She has to copy that over several weeks of just borrowing it, writing it down on a pink index card, and then putting it back before he gets back from washing his hands. Two things. Two really small things, but I thought that they don't really matter that much for the story. I just liked that they were acknowledged was that she has her first period, but they don't really go into it. Um, Because... I feel like a lot of coming-of-age stories with girls, like, they make a huge deal about the period. And Are I, you I can, there, God? It's me, Margaret. I can understand that, but I also like seeing one where, like, she sees it and she's just kind of like, oh, well, it's happening now. Like, she's prepared for it. It's not, like, this big scary surprise. The other thing is, no mention of Christmas, despite it going through uh, December. I think this is the first book I've seen in, like, a real-world setting that goes through December without even mentioning it as a holiday. Hmm, more of that. I mean, unless they celebrate Christmas and it's relevant to the plot, but... I guess it wasn't relevant to the plot, yeah. so why bring it up? She's very, like, this is this is how the story went. This was with the jellyfish, and this is my progress. What Christmas have to do with it? Nothing. Yeah. So that's um, why she wouldn't bring it up. I tried, once I read about her, like, very frizzy hair, I tried really hard to uh, imagine her as uh, a black character, but the fact that they acknowledge uh, Aaron's tan being an important aspect of his characterization and a couple of other things I don't think she would was it doesn't change anything like it doesn't matter but i was actively being like well she hasn't been described explicitly as white so why should i do that like i was just trying to make myself a more active diverse reader for my own sake uh if anybody watches uh gilmore girls i'm picturing her as uh luke's daughter who's a pretty cute kid very smart very sciencey at the funeral, the programs have the, a, last, the last picture, picture of Franny, and it's explicitly stated that that is the last picture taken of her, and it's the day she died, and that's really morbid. I wouldn't have picked that one. I wouldn't have picked that one, and I sure as heck wouldn't have said that that was no. taken, like, two hours before like, she that's died. That's horribly inappropriate. <laughs> that's so horrible. Don't do that. Like, I don't know, some, maybe not quite a school picture. Because those are so staged and, like... Right, find a candid where she's just, like, laughing. Yeah. Like, you know, in the sun or something. Right. Not like, hey, I'm just about to go out there and drown. Hang on. (laughs) Give me a second. (laughs) I'm gonna make this real memorable. (laughs) You're gonna never forget the beach, mommy. (laughs) Listen, darling. (laughs) I got a jellyfish I gotta catch. (laughs) This is horrible (laughs) for about a child dying well and also like like watching those girls cry it's like how dare you cry franny was my world for years and you knew her for one year and yeah. you think that you are hurting you yeah think this is your pain screw you and also the fact that she might i don't even get a pew at my best friend's wedding yeah <laughs> <a> wedding funeral <laughs> and she might subconsciously blame them for taking franny away from her because that sort of person is the sort of person that franny wanted so hard to turn into and that yeah. was what started to cause the rift. 
Even though she's like, kill me if I ever end up like that. Yeah. Like, um, I'm not gonna kill you. We'll just send you a big message. Like, I will put pee in your locker. Again, there. I don't think we mentioned that at the beginning, Ugh. but while they're, when they're still in elementary school, she's like, and Franny's like, if I ever turn into one of those girls, like, send me a message, make it big, make it, like, something I can't miss. And this is one of those things where, like, I guess it wasn't that important to her because she totally forgot about it. Yeah. But that was a huge thing for Susie. And so she's like, I have to send the message. She made me promise to I do this. I will freeze my pee for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty ingenious. Like, honestly. Yeah. I yeah, mean, so she super horrible. Yeah. But, like... My mom would have fucking found all that frozen pee in the fridge, in the freezer. She'd have found it. And been like, <laughs> what are you doing? And she would have, like, put, like, an end to it there. Like, what is this for? And I would have burst into tears and, like, I'm gonna get Megan. And be like, no, you're not doing this. So, come on, get more on the ball here, mom. <laughs> Do you think she hid the frozen pee behind the frozen peas? <laughs> I think she specifies. She did say frozen vegetables. She did, so they could yeah. be peas. That's kind of the first vegetable you think of when you think of frozen vegetables. I have like a half dozen Franny faces in here because everything was just really sad. So while they're dissecting Thor, which I don't like dissections personally, but that's just because I'm really sad about dead things. Well, they didn't die for nothing because you're learning something. Right, and uh, Justin and you're actually not just throwing it at a tree to kill it. Justin's like, we should we should name the worm, and then we should say something about how like his death goes towards like scientific understanding. When we dissected cats in one of my science classes in high school, I named the cat. That was a thing? Yeah. They they came in sacks. Frogs were the biggest I've ever heard. We did cats. The only thing I ever dissected was a pellet from an owl. I never dissected anything that had once been living. Should I stop the story? I mean, if it's good for the podcast. We named him Bony. <laughs> Susie and Justin start talking during the dissection, like, actually talking, because um, she is comfortable talking to him. He is a receptive and good human being. And she asks him, what's it like before and after taking the yeah. ADHD pills? Because he has the alarm that he has to take it while they're doing the dissection. And he's like, it's basically all of the information that I can see and hear and feel, it all is coming at me at once, and there's not a good way for me to kind of focus on any one thing it just all exists all at the same time it's just all hitting me and then when I take the pill it's not that any of the information changes it just allows some space to kind of form between them and then she says like an orchestra and he's like yeah it's a lot like that and so like in they have two different quirks that affect how they interact through life but they have a sort of common metaphor for it and that gives them a really meaningful bonding moment. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, this is another one of those books like Dollbones where everything comes back around. Like, yeah. even the fact that she specifically talked about urine at the lunch table yeah. fed into the message. What do you think Franny thought happened? Like, sh I mean, no reasonable person would think, I think someone over time froze their bee into discs and slid them into my locker. Like, right. what do you think she think happened? Like, probably no idea. Like Or like, I don't think she suspected Susie of doing this. I don't think she su suspected Susie. I don't think that she would have figured out exactly how it happened. She just no. knows what happened. Yeah. I would guess that maybe... I'd be like, someone must hate me a whole lot and they did this to me. And yeah. I would guess that maybe she felt like one of the other popular girls had turned on her because they, that sort of girl, at least... Yeah. They brand. tend to be known for being really fickle and cruel once they decide that they don't like somebody. So I... 
that's who I would guess she would think did it. For or one of the boys to be like funny or something, or yeah, maybe. I yeah, I'm just kind of like like what did I'm I'm just intrigued like what if Franny. It's almost worse that. that she wouldn't even think that it's Susie, because that means that she is so far removed Move from, from her life that yeah. it's like why would she ever? Yeah, I wonder if she considered Susie as a suspect and then ruled it out or didn't even bring her into the conversation. Had Franny lived, would Susie have confessed? Well, been like I I left you a message. There's the message, and she's like, "What?" I'm like, yeah, I did that to your locker. I'm like, excuse me. Well, I like, don't. Do you think she would have like? Because it's like my message wasn't received, and then summer happened, and she wasn't able to like. Yeah, but I don't think that would have changed the vacation to Maryland. And they talk about it later that it was probably probably was a freak accident. Well, I know she didn't die of pee in her locker. Here. I'm just saying, do you think if she hadn't died on her vacation, she was she come back and then they start school and stuff, if she ever would have told her I was the one who did that? Oh, I flip-flopped the cause and effect there. Yeah. I thought you were saying, I think the way you <laughs> phrased it sounded like, do you think that... If she'd come back from her vacation and hadn't died in the ocean, gotcha. would, would Susie have been like, I left you the message? No, I don't think she would have. Okay. Brings that I think conversational she, tidbit to a screech. I think she would have only if Franny had tried to confront her about it. I think Yeah. I think she basically that was her way of laying all the cards on the table and be like, it's your move from here whether or not you want to have any discussion about this. And then like, oh, it never occurred to me that she wouldn't even yeah, because yeah. she goes home and she's horrified. She's just waiting for the phone call. Yeah. She had to and then it doesn't come and she yeah. realizes that it's not coming and that That's the message it. never worked. And that was, even if Franny hadn't died, that would have kind of been the end of the relationship, at least as, as far into the future as Susie could comprehend. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Again, like what you were saying with people who like went through weird phases in middle school, like by high school, things could have been completely different, but she can't see that far ahead. No. She can't imagine all the changes that would occur over just a couple of years. And I would like to think that somewhere down the line in high school, they would have made amends. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Franny would have quite gotten it necessarily, but I think they would have found themselves eventually in a better place together. Probably. Because they had a really, pretty strong foundation. Yeah. Like, I think if I'd had a stronger foundation with Megan, then <laughs> she was more like a friend of me than yeah. a friend. <laughs> she was always kind of mean. This was back in one of the, one of the earlier flashbacks. Uh, the first time they had a sleepover, they were originally going to sleep at... Susie's house, but then Franny freaked out and they had to have the sleepover at Franny's and I'm pretty sure I did that at least once before I got used to staying at other people's houses. I can see you doing that, yeah. Even now, I'm such a homebody. Like, people will be like, let's hang out. And I'll be like, yeah, when do you want to come here? And they're like, oh, I was thinking we should go over to this place. And I'm like, oh, no, thank you. How are you able to come here? <laughs> I prioritize a podcast over just like Sitting and playing games with people a lot of the time. <laughs> Especially when it's people I've known for a decade. Like, I'm really bad about that because it's like, it's going to be fun. But at the same time, it's like, there's nothing really new here. It's just kind of like chilling, like, which I appreciate when it happens. But it's hard for me to like get up and out and go about doing it sometimes. Towards the very end of her like preparation and stuff, uh, Susie shouts at her mom oh god it was so awful uh because her mom like 
she has to leave for one of her, because she's a real estate agent, so she has to leave for, like, a house showing. Mm-hmm. And she keeps trying to talk to Susie, who she calls Zoo. I like uh, that nickname. And eventually she's just like, just go, Mom, I don't want you here. And it was a combination, I think, of the frustration of her mom keep trying to do something but not knowing quite what to do, and the fact that she's like, I have to say goodbye. It's almost easier to just shut it out and just be like yeah just leave angry because then she can just make a clean escape obviously yeah. she she plans to come back from australia but her it's not the the traditional runaway of like i'm gonna leave this life behind it's just like looking for answers so she would come back but at the same time that having that goodbye and just trying to make it final is like that's a lot of times easier it's just an angry goodbye is easier than trying to explain what's going on yeah like what happened in twilight what <laughs> when uh <laughs> When Bella and them have to go to Arizona for some reason, because they think that the bad vampires have her mom, and then she has to, like, leave her- Is that her... the first one? Yeah. Okay. And she has to leave her dad, and instead of, like, this is the big dumb quest I have to go on, she just picks a fight with him, and then, like, leaves, and oh, it's okay. like, okay, you're a horrible person, Bella, because right. Susie's, like, 11 or 12, and Bella was, like, 16, <laughs> like, yeah. be a better person, grow right. up. Um... <laughs> So she does... I, that's like the, what is up with this book? We've brought up Twilight twice. <laughs> well, you brought up Breaking Dawn, but I mean, it's part of the ongoing saga. Steph Mize. Steph Mize. <laughs> uh, and then the last goodbye is when she calls Franny's mom, which is, yeah. I didn't expect that. I wasn't. I didn't either. I was just like, what's the, what's the last phone call? Like, who else is there? Are you going to? Call Aaron and apologize for taking their grocery money. He is she. Uh, she <laughs> goes over to Aaron and Rocco's apartment, and she it takes money she, that she finds there. She takes the spare key and his picture. Right. She didn't. She didn't mean to. Like she didn't go there with the intent of taking money. She yeah, but they weren't there. But they weren't there, and there had been like grocery money set on the counter or the mantle or something like yeah. that, uh, along with a really awkward picture of Aaron, who is <laughs> who who is described as being. Very handsome and very confident and charismatic now, but uh, the picture is him yeah. a long time ago. and When he was probably Susie's age. Yeah, and Rocco left a cute little note of being like, I, I loved you even before I met you, even when you looked like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like so she that. takes that picture and the money, uh, and then the last call that she makes is to Franny's mom, and she asks about Fluffernutter, and they have a long period of not talking, which is her explanation for the whole, like, it's not a total vow of silence. It's not bothering to fill the space if something doesn't need to be said. And being, and being comfortable with silence. Like, it doesn't have to be something that's really jarring to people. Um, so they sit on the phone. They just don't talk for a good period of time. But there's kind of a mutual understanding there. Well, then she says, like, Franny really admired that you didn't care what people thought of you. Yeah, which is like a total curveball for Susie because... <laughs> Because, first of all, she wouldn't have gotten that impression because she had felt no. like Franny had been so rude and dismissive of her for a couple of years at this point. And the other thing is that she cared a ton about what Franny thought. She did, yeah. But the crowd of, like, like the Aubreys and Dylans of the world, who cares about them? Yeah. What matters is yeah. the people, you know? And the difference is that she cared a lot about what Franny thought of her, but she didn't use that as a catalyst for change in the same way that a lot of people, like, the idea of, like, you care what people think sends the message of, you change yourself in order to be more appealing to other people. Yeah. Hers was, I care a lot what she thinks, she doesn't think highly about me, and I'm miserable because of that. Before we get to the end, I feel like I should mention, 
I'm flying to Spokane tomorrow to go to a memorial service. Oh, no. Uh, my best friend's mom passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so I was reading this knowing that I had to prepare for a memorial. I'm like, wow, this is just, this is a real fun week. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Maybe we shouldn't have done this. No, it's fine. It's a good book. And I didn't, I'm going mostly for my friend. I didn't know her mom terribly well. Okay. Um, but I'm, still. You've seen how I get with bugs dying. I'm not that comfortable at memorial services. How many have you been to? A handful, but it's been a few years since the last one. Okay. The closest ones were like for great grandparents, so it wasn't like it didn't it wasn't a surprise or anything like that, you know? My family doesn't do funerals. We we do cremation and then you get put in a foam canister <laughs> tube. <laughs> I've never been to one I've never been to any sort of graveside service. And I have been to ones with open caskets, but there was no way I was going anywhere near that. Um, okay, so I wrote separate summaries for part six and part seven. Would you like to tackle them separately or together? Because they're decent length, but not like as long as the others. Well, let's do it separate, see what happens. Okay. Because I don't have notes, so. Okay, so. <laughs> I'm flying blind here. Part six, results. Susie makes it to the airport. Initially, she doesn't have any trouble until she is turned away for not having a visa to fly international. The woman at the desk is sympathetic and takes her off to the side. Susie is reeling from her failure and ends up falling asleep. She wakes up covered in blankets. Her mother has arrived with Aaron and Rocco. They're relieved to see her, and Susie tries to explain the jellyfish, Jamie, the Bridget Brown story, but worries it won't make sense. On the airport television, Susie watches Diana Nyad finish her Cuba, Florida swim on the fifth try. At this point, she breaks down and is ready to go home. I was just like, there's no way that her flight plan... Right. It's going to work. Between. But I, so, um, yeah, when she initially made the plan, so I flipped ahead and I read this section, I started bawling. I just, it just, I don't know. It just like, it was so sad. I just like, I just lost it. And just, yeah, I had to put the book down, like had my head in my hand yeah. just sat there. just like. <laughs> well, yeah. Cause it's a lot of things. It's one of the things that she prides herself in is that the Bridget Brown story, the girl didn't plan a whole lot for her trip and so she prided herself in planning a ton uh, and taking all the necessary precautions that she had thought of at the time which for a 12 year old she thought of a lot she did yeah like the like how am i gonna get to the airport yeah Uh, and she waited until the very last possible moment to book her flight because she knew it would show up on her dad's credit card statement so she didn't want to give him extra time to ask what the heck was going on yeah so it was the culmination of all of that planning being for naught it was the family reunion, it was seeing Diana Nyad's swim, and it was, like, knowing between how many pages were left and what sort of book this was that there was no way that she was ever going to get there, but still kind of hoping that she would. It's just a lot all at once. Is there also, is this also where she was explaining, like, she might have been stung by a jellyfish, and then, like, the mom's like, I just always thought it was a riptide, and that was what I was thinking of from the beginning, like, I bet she got caught... I thought that was part of the conversation at the airport. Was it this one? Yeah, you're right. It is during the airport when, which I guess because because Susie was so distraught that they that her mom never thought to talk about it in any sort of detail. But she yeah. she realized that I guess one of the things that would be necessary for Susie's form of closure is an understanding of exactly what went on. Part of the kind of scientific aspect of her brain. So her mom guess didn't think to talk about the fact that she was pretty sure that it. She explained when it happened that sometimes things just happen. But what she meant was she was pretty sure it was a riptide, which is known for being something that you absolutely have no control over. You can't predict it. You can't really do a whole lot Uh, about it. Yeah, you can. It's really deceptive. So Fanny could easily 
done this uh, the part on a riptide like at the shore mm-hmm. if there if it's really calm and there's no waves crashing that's a riptide don't swim in there because it'll suck you right out franny could have easily just been like oh well that's a calmer part right there that's that's cool i'm just gonna swim right out there and then yeah. she's that's bye-bye She's out, and uh, maybe she doesn't know what to do. You're not supposed to struggle against it. Just kind of just just let it take you out. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like try to float. Yeah. And uh, I think you want your body like parallel to the shore. I guess you can kind of try and get out. I don't know. I I I'm terrified of this kind of thing. Yeah. I do not swim in the ocean because of riptides. They yeah. scare me. That that's how you how you know. I. Uh... But I guess once you're out there, yeah, I guess you could easily get into one. It's not like she just like went like. Yeah. Right from the shore. I don't know. Maybe she knew that, but then, like, kind of ended up in one. Yeah. I went to Hawaii when I was 10, and I did some boogie boarding, and I remember a few times you catch the wave, and you crash, and sometimes there's some some unpredictability there, and it's not, it's not, like, a full-force riptide, but it is, when the tide's coming back, it does kind of, like, pull you around. Yeah. I don't remember being terribly panicked, but I remember in my head, I was just like, you just kind of have to wait it out. You don't want to struggle against it. Make sure you have a lot of air to protect your your vital bits like you know like don't get crashed against the shore like by the back of your neck or something and just like wait until you feel it giving you some room to start working with and then you, you know, go to the surface you kind of go from there but yeah it's a very scary thing and i have only been to the ocean a couple of times same thing happened to me boogie boarding when i was a kid it mangled me <laughs> it was, yeah it was so terrifying and i'm thinking no like the whole time <laughs> I just had a lot of, like, like sand burns after that. I wasn't even hitting sand. It was just the water just had me and was, just, like, like just yeah. twisting me around. It was, I think that's, like, the most fright I've ever been. I was just like, I, why? I always liked the ocean. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> I thought we were friends. I thought we were friends, you bitch. Megan! <laughs> and you just you just hear the ocean going. Your clothes don't match. <laughs> you have the perfect body. <laughs> it's so weird. She said that. In case we didn't specify, Diana Nyad is the the older woman who had made four attempts over the years to swim from Cuba to Florida, unassisted, and every single time she was stopped probably through because she got stung by a jellyfish. Yeah. Every single time. In the real world, her fifth attempt took place in, like, September, but the author decided to move it to February because she wanted it to align better with the story. Yeah. Um, but that is all true. She made it on her fifth attempt when she was, what was she, like, 70-ish? I think she was in her 50s. 50s? I don't okay. think you do that when you're 70. I don't know. There are some people that are just in weirdly good shape. Anyways, she is not a youngster at the point when she is doing it. Super impressive. Could never do it. Would never want to do it. But I can respect somebody who does want to. 64. 64, okay. I had a fair number of parallels in this story, now that I think about it, between Susie's character and Riley from Inside Out. Oh, yeah. Kind of going through the sort of similar areas of confusion for different reasons, but similar, like trying to navigate and understand your own emotions and dealing with them in ways that you know aren't the healthiest, but you don't have any other tools in your toolkit to really work with it. And the, the end is sort of the same of like you you try to go away and then you, something happens, you end up with your family again. And that kind of like 
finally letting all the emotions just kind of cascade out of you because you're in a safe place again and you don't know quite what's going to happen next but you you have support that you hadn't been feeling prior to that yeah because your happiness and sadness disappeared on like this other trip yeah your brain. <laughs> <laughs> and just millions millions of people were and watching it bombs forgotten forever that movie made me ugly cry like three or four times that one yeah that was the last movie that made me cry it's one of the only ones that made me cry. I got kind of teary-eyed at the bing bong, but uh, the sigh that she lets out when she's back with her parents again, that made me cry. The, the, I'm not, okay. I, I'm not okay. I can't be okay. Yeah. It was like, eh. Yeah. But mostly I, like, held it together because, like, I'm in the theater full of babies. No, I didn't want to frighten anybody by, like, <laughs> crying so badly in front of everyone. Plus, it was a Pixar movie, so it was packed. Like, I didn't have any seat other than, like baby next to me and like college age dude next to me i i couldn't have like a, so i had to hold it together so i like ended up thinking about the movie twice when i was like at home and like breaking down crying part seven conclusion the evening Susie comes home her mother and father start making calls to set their finances straight Susie doesn't go to school the next day but when she gets up her mother informs her that the ticket was refunded Justin calls the house later and speaks to Susie's mom. He asks her to tell Susie his costume for the dance is awesome sauce. Susie admits that Justin is her friend and asks to be taken to the dance. She goes dressed as an everyday guy, but gets cold feet. Her mom tells her to stay at the dance for five minutes. And if she wants to leave after that, she can call and her mom will come get her. Justin and Mrs. Turton are there. Justin is dressed as the beast and they give Susie some comfort. Susie makes a call, but to her dad instead. She hasn't spoken to him since trying to leave, but she asks if they can see a nearby dinosaur tracks exhibit uh, and break along Aaron and Rocco. After she hangs up, Sarah approaches Susie, and Susie realizes Sarah seems pretty okay. They see Justin and Mrs. Turton dancing with some other kids, and together they enter the dance. I like that there was finally, like, because you feel like the whole time Sarah's meant to be her friend but she just kind of keeps getting blocked by like the popular girls are just like yeah it comes down with some of us and she's like oh well i'm kind of more it's yeah it's that (laughs) and it's also the fact that through most of the book you the reader are blocked in with Susie. yeah trying to prevent other people and emotions from getting in because you are trying to stay very focused on Susie's plan and it's somewhere around this point that she starts letting that break down. She acknowledges that Justin is not just somebody she knows, but a friend. He's someone that she's able to talk to. And she looks at Sarah and she starts thinking about all the things that Sarah's done and realizes that she's actually pretty interesting. Yeah. And it seems like a nice, good person. Because she's like, what about all those popular girls? And she was like, and Sarah's like, well, I know them, but they're not my friends. Yeah. Like, there's this moment where... Uh, Susie starts, like, listing off all the things that she'd seen about Sarah, and she's like, oh, she's cool. (laughs) (laughs) This is friend material. Can I just say, it's like, of course the popular girl did a report on dolphins. Right. Of course she did. I was like, you basic bitch. (laughs) Well, that's going to be her tattoo when she turns 18. Yeah, on the small of her back. Yeah. (laughs) And she's going to get, like, she's going to get, like, a music note on her wrist, and she's going to get, like... Like a Chinese character right. for like serenity on like the back of her neck. You know, like all the basic. It means a walnut. <laughs> yeah. He wrote, dumb bitch. <laughs> yeah. Justin's the beast because. She's uh, Belle. She's Belle and Belle is the name for beauty. 
Yeah. Is cute. That's cute. She's not going to date you, but that's cute. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's okay with that. Yeah. I can definitely see how the idea of like him wanting to date her is possible, but at the same time, he seems more focused on just like genuine human connection, whatever yeah. form that takes. Like, I think he would be totally fine if she's like, well, you just like, let's just be best friends. And like, he wouldn't even think like, oh, I'm kind of bummed I don't get to date her. He'd just be like, that's awesome. I want to spend time with you. I want to, I, I'm excited <laughs> to like experience awesome things with you. Let's keep watching science videos at lunch. <laughs> Did Sarah ever actually start joining them? Like, she like seemed interested and then was like, oh, maybe not. Cause like she saw, cause she saw Susie frowning. So yeah. Like, um, okay, I don't think I she ended not. up actually sitting down at that point. They could probably form just like a cute little science club. Yeah. This is the sort of thing where, like, if this was turned into a movie, I could see, like, a cute little epilogue during the credits where they're, like, all hanging out together and they're, like, doing science experiments. We're, and... we're putting together a terrarium, you know? <laughs> like, that kind of thing. And then, like, Justin accidentally, like, blows something up in his face, but it's not, like, it's not with the tone of, like, oh, what a doof. It's just, he like, didn't take it's, his like, meds. Bar, bar. <laughs> yeah, it's just, like, oh, he's a goof. It's fine. Yeah. He likes science. Yeah, like her and Sarah just kind of looking at each other and then like laughing. And then yeah. like Mrs. Turton just being like, okay, we can solve this though because yeah. we found out don't mix this. And then like the whole family goes to the dinosaur tracks and, you know, her parents aren't like getting back together or anything, but it shows that they're like, you know, they have Still a- Still co-parenting. Yeah, a, a, a healthy respect for each other and are okay being around each other for the sake of the kids and stuff like that. And I feel like it'd make a pretty cute movie. It'd make an adorable movie. And yeah, that's how it ends. It's like- it's a happy ending without being like a like a everything's, everything's perfect. Yeah. yeah. It's like there are obvious still things that she's going to work through. She's still I don't know if she has still like properly grieved. Yeah. For Franny yet, like I think there's still going to be a couple of nights where she's like having to come to terms with the fact that there's not going to be a solution She's to... going to be thinking about this until she's an adult. Yeah. It's a happy for now kind of ending. Yeah. And I like those when they kind of end on like an optimistic beat there's like Okay, this is kind of like a general tone of like yeah. the rest of her life's gonna go. Yeah, like, it's not gonna be easy. It's never gonna be easy for her. But I, I like that kind of feeling of like there are still gonna be difficult things, but she's in a better situation to navigate them now. And now that she's speaking more, she'd probably be like, "I don't want to go to that doctor anymore." <laughs> I think she's also I like I think she's gonna talk more, but I think she is still gonna be somebody who values the idea of like people pay more attention to you when you're more selective about what you say. Like I don't think she's gonna go silent for like days on end but i think she's going to be the sort of person that is okay with just kind of like letting people talk and exist around her and then when she has something to say she'll say it and people will take more notice yeah instead of her constant talking yeah. as it was called when she was a kid i i liked the fact that so she has different terms for like how people talk and constant talking is what she used to do as a child where she was just like just do you want to hear facts about all these animals i know all of these animal facts and she just would like non-stop she says that about halfway through the book, but your first understanding of constant talking is her dismissing it as a frustrating characteristic of people, and then later you realize that she used to be one. I thought yeah. that was a cool little, like... That's why sometimes why I, I got frustrated with children who were awkward, just because I was awkward, and so I just like, Ugh, you're just reminding me of myself, it's just annoying. Yeah. Stop it. But yeah, that's the book. I really liked it. I did too. I gave it five stars. I couldn't quite decide between, like, a... A nine or a ten talking about it more i think i would go, go ahead and give it the full just because i had a lot of emotions reading it that i didn't expect to have and then while talking about it i had a lot more things to unpack than i expected so it's definitely a book that has more going on than you would expect and mm -hmm. um pretty much everything is executed somewhere between 
passable and excellent. Like there's, there, <laughs> I don't think there was anything that was like subpar about it. I think even at even the worst moments, which that are really weren't like any significant things, like everything worked pretty darn well. So yeah, I would definitely recommend this one. I would, yeah, I would say it's one of the best ones we've read so far. Like on Dollbones level, like I still like Dollbones more. I think I liked Dollbones more because it more aligned with the type of story that I like, and yeah. it it more directly reflected the things that I enjoy about my childhood. This definitely reflected aspects about my childhood, but it's the more upsetting aspects. Yeah, but it's rendered really, really well. Yes, and bad things would happen, but it wouldn't be like I have to put this aside because sometimes when I, I'm approaching something and I know it's going to be bad in the book, I was like, I can't handle this, and I have to put it aside just so like I can approach it later. Mm-hmm. Like I think I told you about that um, Sally Lockhart book I was telling you about about uh, the guy who just shows up and is all like, "Yeah, I'm your husband, and I'm divorcing you, and I'm going to take the child in your business." And she's like, "I don't even know who you are." Like that was so stressful. Like it was making me physically sick like reading it and setting it aside and this didn't happen here there was like enough there not sugarcoating exactly but you're able to get through it yeah you know like even though sometimes when you were like getting up to the point like okay now she's at the camp and i just have to cover myself with my hair because i was just like no we're getting to the part that was so bad it's it's not a difficult read in that regard it's not an easy read but it's not like you're gonna have to. Well, I don't know. Everyone's different. Maybe someone will have to set it down and like, like when, like the part at the airport where I just finally just lost it with that book. I had to set it down and like cry for a bit. Yeah. But then I picked it up and kept reading. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we decided to record. So this is a Thursday. We decided to record. Was it Tuesday? Yeah. That we decided that we were going to record today? Yeah. So I anticipated reading about 100 pages a day because it's a little over 300. I read the first 100 and then went to bed because it was like time to go to bed. And then I was like, so I need to read about 100 pages today. And I was like, I want to go back and read some more. Yeah, I I read the first half, like over half the first day and then like wrapped up the rest just laying in bed in the morning. I was like, okay, that's it. Mm -hmm. It's over. Definite recommend. And uh, that will pretty much do it for episode seven we will be back on november 1st for episode eight uh which we are going to be doing schooled by gordon corman trying to move a little bit away from fantasy just for a couple of books just to just to give it a little breather um we'll definitely be back to them because one a lot of ya stuff is fantasy and two i enjoy a lot of ya fantasy yeah it's pretty good but we're gonna we're gonna stay on the more realistic train for a little bit We hope you enjoyed this, and we hope that you will be back next month. Uh, That being said, Hello Fellow Kids is hosted by Mara and Josh and produced by Josh. Music provided by Ben Ash. Visit him at benash.com. If you would like to contact us, we are available on Twitter, HFKpodcast. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you can email us, hfkpodcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook, right? Oh, no. no? I thought you were scared of Facebook now because of all the selling of data and stuff. Right, but I thought you made fun of me and then you were going to do the Facebook. No, I I did make fun of you, but then I took your fears into consideration and didn't make it. Okay. We don't currently have a Facebook <laughs> at the time of recording this. Does anybody really use Facebook anymore? It's okay. Old people do. Well, well okay, fair. <laughs> Old people do so that they can give away all their personal information. <laughs> <laughs> And share, and share annoying memes that have the... the um, Despicable meme like, minions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we are currently available on iTunes, 
and Stitcher and SoundCloud, and I tried to get us uploaded on Google, but it said that we did not have a valid email associated, even <laughs> though I was using the same information for iTunes and Stitcher, and it worked just fine there. Get us together, Google. So we'll have to figure out that one. And yeah, thank you so much for watching. Listening. This is not a visual medium. Oh, yep. I was used to, because I used to do <laughs> daily YouTube videos. <laughs>